welcome back to The Zombie Coder, where we believe less is more and worse is better. Once again, this is the lead undead software engineer, Andrew, speaking from a small family homestead in the Midwest. And if you can listen into the background, you might happen to hear a couple little dogs a little upset that I've spent the vast majority of my day watching videos and not paying as much attention to them as I would if I were just coding. Indeed, it has been quite the few days of uh, video watching as I've been attending the Embedded Linux European Conference. It's been a fairly decent conference overall, and I also had the opportunity to uh, virtually attend the Embedded Linux North American Conference and thought I would give my thoughts as to both conferences and kind of what all I see going on in the Embedded Linux community. Before I dive too deep into that, though, I just thought I'd give a little thought as regards 2020 and uh, mental mindset. I think a lot of us uh, dealing with the COVID shutdowns and uh, limitations on our movements and whatnot are fairly negative or having a hard time adjusting to the climate. Through the conference, I did see uh, some very successful people hand-wringing and really kind of trying to highlight the year as being as uh, bad as it was. But at the same point in time, can't help but think there's a lot to be thankful for, especially if we're professionals presenting at this sort of thing or in a position to really be able to consider uh, the embedded Linux world as a whole or our hobby as a whole, as opposed to other uh, bigger life concerns that others are having right now. So concluding that thought, if you're in a position to think positively, please try to encourage other people instead of uh, wallowing in the crap too that the year might have been uh, just kind of on this surface. There are definitely others out there right now that could use the positive energy uh, sent their way. In any case, let's get back to the embedded world and see what's kind of going on and what's been going on in the past year or so. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, it's possible that you might not be overly familiar with embedded Linux. It really is kind of a niche market, but it's expanded greatly in the past few years. It is really kind of the basis if you're using a Raspberry Pi or any of those embedded Linux boards. Chances are, in that case, that the underlying operating system that you're using is based on the embedded Linux stuff uh, that this sort of conference would cover. Now, generally, the embedded Linux stuff is good for any case where you have kind of a small form factor, low-power computer, but we would differentiate it from really kind of the Android ecosystem uh, that you would see in a cell phone or maybe a car radio or similar sort of device. The thing that I like about these little devices is that they allow me to do a lot of network testing or network development as far as multiple machines go talking on a network without having to spend really a large amount of cash. And indeed, one of the nice things about these is just the ability to have a bunch of really small, cheap computers or really to make computing accessible to people that don't have a lot of resources uh, to spend you know, thousands of dollars on a PC. So if you're interested in this sort of ecosystem, it might be worthwhile to check out, of course, the Raspberry Pi with the Raspbian distribution. Or if you're wanting something a little more advanced, there's the Yocto toolkit, which will let you build your own distribution for an embedded device, including that Raspberry Pi. And now if you're a more experienced embedded Linux developer or somebody that's a little bit more knowledgeable about that ecosystem, perhaps you're wondering, well, what exactly happened at this conference and what trends are you seeing in the industry? And I think the first uh, most important one 
as far as embedded Linux goes is the continued trend of features from the server environment filtering down into the low you know, power devices. Particularly now, what I am seeing is the containerization stuff, Docker and friends are coming to the embedded world. And there's definitely, I'm noticing a shift in focus on making that a little bit more of a thing as far as the embedded Linux environment goes. So if you are looking to get away from that and uh, go to the embedded environment for that reason, I don't think that's gonna work out for you. Now, if you're a new developer and you're curious about systems you should be learning, I think this really does say that getting Docker installed onto your desktop and playing with Docker containers is really a worthwhile sort of thing to do. It is definitely a technology that seems to have some legs behind it. And I think the embedded community is going to start finding, a, if not Docker, something similar to use in their environment. I think the only real big downside I personally see to Docker right now is its reliance on Go. And really, just overall, I don't know that I would be placing big bets on Go being just a super popular language going forward. Now that said, Go has had quite the surge of popularity in the past several years, but I don't know that I see that necessarily continuing, and I don't know that I see that translating well to the embedded world. Uh, just from a systems programming perspective, I think Rust is better situated uh, to really do more as far as just being expressive in the embedded environment where some forms of expressivity uh, matter a little bit more. Now, both Go and Rust, I don't know how well their environments are situated to work under the Yocto or embedded Linux systems. They seem to be more structured for development on just kind of a more normal desktop environment and kind of the, the special use case that an embedded world uh, can be. So to sum all that up, if you're a intrepid C, C++, or Rust developer, I would suggest maybe taking a look at building a ecosystem that's a little bit easier or more targeted toward the embedded environment versus perhaps Docker or something more heavyweight. I think there's definitely some potential there, especially as I think there's a demand for that technology in this particular uh, form factor. So moving on from containers, I think the next thing that's worth keeping track of as far as embedded Linux is concerned is the RISC-V architecture. Now RISC-V is a open source architecture, an open source instruction set, so it's got some interesting advantages and openness and transparency around it, but at the same point in time I have yet to see a really affordable like Raspberry Pi board, both affordable and available, I guess you should say, because there are some RISC-V boards out there, but they are not on the cheap end, and they're not really readily hackable or, you know, just get it home and load up something like Raspbian on it. However, if you're somebody that likes uh, delving into new architectures or likes being up on current technology, keep your eye out uh, for any RISC-V boards and development kits that might start appearing, especially if you can get your hands on something at low cost. I think there's a lot of room as the embedded market changes uh, that this architecture might well displace quite a bit of the ARM architecture. If you're a student right now that's looking at taking a hardware architecture class or some other class that's going to involve MIPS assembly, it's probably worthwhile to make sure that uh, the uh, class is not about to be redone with the RISC assembly language 
in which case I'd advise waiting a little bit as uh, to allow it to be translated over, especially as I've seen multiple textbooks updated now for Risk V versus MIPS. And if you can hear, I am currently dealing with uh, yet uh, more activity from the animals here on the farmstead. Uh, the kittens have been launched loose, and they are quite playful today after being uh, cooped up for a little far too long. Uh, so moving on as to other topics go, I think the uh, next thing that's worth considering is uh, kind of some of the stuff I'm seeing around IDEs. And th this goes beyond the embedded Linux environment, and that is that Visual Studio Code really does seem to be uh, quite the hot thing if uh, you're looking at learning an IDE or an IDE framework. Now, I like VS Code myself. I do think it is something that suffers from being kind of a bloated Electron app. But that said, the more I look around, the more I see people using it, the more I see people developing extensions for it, and the more popularity I see that it has. Uh, there were a few interesting kind of alternatives mentioned to VS Code in one of the presentations I watched. Uh, one of them is called Thea IDE. That's uh, T-H-E-I-A-I-D-E. Um, and it's uh, .org. If you're looking for an internet site, I'll have a link in uh, the show notes. Uh, there's also VS Codium. Uh, that's kind of like the open alternative. Uh, it's a pure open source uh build a VS Code uh, that doesn't have kind of the Microsoft special sauce. And there's a, a interesting extension uh, framework, a website, uh, the openvsx.org, uh, that you can find extensions for VS Codium there. Um, I personally, when I use uh, VS Code, I do use uh, the LaTeX and uh, some of the Clang extensions. It's a nice tool. I just wish it was a little bit lighter weight. I don't think my text editor should have a full web browser and take up a gig and a half of RAM uh, just kind of sitting there. I will note that I also really love it uh, for the Python development. There are some really nice uh, Python extensions and the uh, new uh, kind of Python extension in VS Code uh, that Microsoft just released is, uh, well, it's a decent tool and it has some really cool support uh, for Jupyter Notebooks if uh, that is your thing, it's uh, definitely worth checking out. Now, on the topic of bloat, one of the kind of interesting factoids that I digested that I think I knew intellectually before, but I hadn't quite come to terms with uh, into my uh, taking it into my soul, so to speak, was that the Android source code checkout has currently hit over 100 gig. That's just the source checkout, so that's before you really do the binary build and all that, and that's just pulling down data. And even knowing that a lot of that is hopefully binary artifacts and version tracking and that sort of stuff, just the sheer magnitude of the Android ecosystem being built there, just it boggles my mind. It is no wonder to me that uh, the cell phone, really, I, I've noticed that my phone especially lately, just feel slower and slower with each Android update. And I think the reality is there's just that much more stuff under the hood going on as uh, the time marches on and uh, RAM is uh, just a endlessly consumed uh, commodity uh, from every possible angle. 
Now, of course, one of the kind of recurring themes of uh, this uh, podcast has been uh, ethics in software, which honestly has been kind of accidental. It was something that I noticed up front and was one of the motivating factors for creating it, but wasn't something I necessarily intended to cover. One of the uh, presentation frameworks for the conference was actually the diversity uh, uh, track, and that's something that I've really tried to watch as much as I could just because it is an area of interest of mine, especially as I would like to see uh, more people developing, more people coming in for uh, interviews uh, to actually become developers. We have a really hard time recruiting where I am just due to lack of, well, warm bodies, lack of people getting involved in uh, this profession, uh, this uh, career path. The big thing that I took away from these presentations, as far as a positive note goes, is that it is very worthwhile to realize when you're interacting with people online or IRC or mailing lists or whatever uh, service you're using, that the ideas that you are seeing put forward from a person or the patch that that person is giving you is coming from a person. And so it is very easy when you are communicating uh, criticism especially if the patch is, well, let's say the patch is crap, like somebody gives you kind of a piece of poo to take a look at. It is very easy to uh, come across as being critical of the person when what you want to be critical of is the patch. And so one of the more interesting ideas uh, that I heard there was just trying to attempt to humanize the person on the other end of the mailing list and uh, the challenge that was stated was uh, it's not as easy when that is not somebody that you have uh, met face to face. Now, honestly, I didn't really hear a good solution for this problem as far as how do you give constructive feedback to somebody. I have personally seen people try to give a constructive feedback by um, doing kind of this objectification of the uh, the review process where they will basically fill out a form and just kind of try to be super impersonal. And I think that might actually work for some people, but I also think there's a large portion of people out there that that might come across as either passive aggressive or just um, dehumanizing in a negative way. So I don't have a good solution for this particular thing, but I will say it is just something to think about. And my one idea that I, I would put forth is just try to track, if you interact with the same person, uh, try to track the previous emails or correspondence you've had with that person to get an idea for their particular style of uh, correspondence. If you're dealing with somebody like me, I will probably depending on the patch or what I'm seeing, either be just extremely terse or extremely technical and long-winded, depending on um, if I think there's an explanation needed or not. I know my personal style is if I think there's not an explanation needed, I'm probably going to give like a one-word answer of no or yes, and that'll be it. You know, I'll just kind of consider that, yeah, you should know. Um, and I've known a great many other very talented uh, developers that kind of have a similar sort of method of operating. 
if you're dealing with somebody that doesn't like that terseness or doesn't appreciate that terseness, it's probably worthwhile to kind of track that as far as, you know, the correspondence style with that person goes. That's really the only idea uh, that I could put forward as far as a you know positive thought as to how that goes. The the rest of the diversity uh, stuff I just found a little. I, I well I don't want to go too far in it because I and I, I'm trying to be positive here, but I really think at some point uh, we need to address larger issues than uh, we're trying to address as far as access to technology goes as far as getting younger people involved and overcoming the kind of uh, middle school or 12 to 15 year age uh, group where people fall out of the industry. Uh, The research shows um, that is the key uh, demographic as far as reaching somebody. After that point, they probably will not have interest in the career if they haven't already uh, developed it. Or if they did have interest, it might well be lost uh, to the uh, sands of time because they're not going to be in a position going forward to actually develop that because they just won't know that that's something they're interested in. And one criticism I will voice is that I feel like in these diversity discussions, we really should uh, include more representation from, well, Asia and uh, try to help build some of that community goes as far as uh, getting involvement and thought as far as things like translations and all go uh, for languages that have a different representational requirements. It's something that I've seen uh, kind of repeatedly in development is we're very uh, Latin or European centric as far as most stuff we do goes. So that would have been a topic that I would have liked to seen and kind of my criticism of something I just really don't get a lot of. And for one of the kind of concluding thoughts as far as this uh, fuzzy interpersonal stuff goes that I just find, well, icky, it's worth when you're trying to get a pull request to GitHub or get a patch pushed out to an open source project to kind of keep in mind the dynamic of that project. It's kind of one of the more interesting elements as far as just recurring theme as presentations are concerned is if you want to get something as a, a community contribution into a project that you really have to be willing to accept the feedback and work on the project's timeline as opposed to your own, which as a professional can be difficult if you're trying to get something upstreamed as far as a contribution goes. The project that you're working on professionally might have a very different timeline and you really need to keep that in mind when you're dealing with uh, these upstream open source uh, developers, especially if you're dealing with one of the development groups is just kind of chronically overworked and lacking uh, the resources to help everyone that has a push or pull request uh, is concerned. So that's sort of my main thoughts from these conferences. There were a lot of technical presentations that I attended that uh, were useful. I would say that if you are somebody that is doing open source work, if you are somebody that doesn't normally attend conferences, 2020 is a very awesome year for you to have the opportunity to attend a lot of these conferences at a substantially lower cost. The tickets are generally far cheaper than I've seen them before. So you're not paying as much to actually go virtually to the conference. And then you don't have all the travel costs and all that sort of stuff as well. So you can at least get a feel for what the presentations are like. 
you will not get a feel for really the hallway conversations or the dinners or any of the other sort of interactions that can happen at these uh, events. But it is a good opportunity uh, to get involved in the community a little bit more than uh, maybe you could have otherwise. Or if you're just uh, somebody trying to get your feet wet as far as development goes, it's an interesting way to see how developers interact, at least online, uh, on these virtual conferences. Uh, there is another, I believe, another Embedded Linux conference coming up. I will probably not be visiting that one. There's also some cool events uh, for C and C++. I will link some of those in the show notes. I know that the Italian C++ community has a, a event or two coming up that uh, might be worthwhile uh, for somebody interested in uh, C++ programming. And, well, there are other conferences as well these days that have all gone virtual that uh, you can check out. And I will try to, as uh, time goes on, as 2020 continues, I'll try to find some of those and link to those on the show blog. And for what it's worth, I would not spend an inordinate amount of money on these embedded conferences. Uh, if you're seeing prices that are more than 20 to $60, I think you'd really would want to consider the overall utility as far as it goes. And if you can't just get the same content off of random YouTube videos. And that will do it for this week's coverage of the Embedded Linux Conference. You might hear in the background the kittens are very much needing uh, some attention, so I will begrudgingly go and make sure they're happy. Meanwhile, the next few weeks should see a continuation on the series I started on CS topics, specifically as applies to blockchain development and uh, what Bitcoin is behind the scenes and how it works kind of trying to demystifies it as a buzzword or technology. Until next time, this is Zombie Coder, out. Music by Audionautics. This podcast and others available at stitcher.com or check just this podcast out at techstucks.com.